The first reading is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And then chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Now the, Lord, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 8, the whole chapter. Headed, Do not forget the Lord. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase, and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years, to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks and streams and deep springs, springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. 
When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirm, confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord, the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel reading today is found in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, please stand for the reading of the gospel. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for the day and for the night, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this... I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. 
So let's pray. Father, we are indeed your disciples. We are the students and the learners. Yes. And uh, your son Jesus is our teacher and our example. And the one who calls us to follow him and to emulate his life. And we pray that uh, that spirit of Jesus will be here this morning to teach us, to challenge us, to encourage us. And Lord, when it is necessary to bring us correction, so that we do not walk down the broad way to destruction, but remain on the narrow road that leads to life. We do ask these things in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And we pray that in all of these things, he'll be glorified and lifted up. Amen. <clears throat> the first Sunday of Lent, um, it's a tradition in many churches, including this one, that we begin the Lenten season uh, reading about temptation. And uh, this Sunday we're reading about, um, very appropriately, three uh, temptation stories or three temptation dramas. We're reading the human story or the, a universal story, the story of Adam and Eve and the garden. Then we read a story that's particular. Yes, the story of Israel in the desert. And finally, there's the story of Jesus and his temptation. And what does link these all together is that Jesus is known, or he's called, yes, throughout the scripture, the son of God. But so too is Adam. Adam is also the son of God. And so Israel as well is called God's son. So the context for all of this is, again, something very human, something very universal, but also something very particular. And of course, when we read the scripture, especially the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament, we have to keep in mind or live within a certain tension. And the tension that we have to live, live, uh, live in is that the God that we worship, the universal Lord and Savior, is also the same God of Israel. Or the New Testament that we read, the New Covenant, is not only for all the peoples of the world, but it was first given to the house of Judah and to the house of Israel. Yes, and Jesus, of course, is not only Savior and Lord, yes, but he is also Jesus, yes, the Jewish Messiah. And so, with, I think in all that tension, or within that uh, tension, we can uh, proceed and uh, make some comments about uh, all three of these. Surely, um, they all have this something, at least uh, Israel and the Garden of Eden, um, there's a similar pattern. Yeah. First, there is a paradise. 
for Adam and Eve. Uh, there's a paradise for Israel, a land of milk and honey. There is rebellion, yes, because there's human dissatisfaction and an inability to trust God. And that rebellion or disobedience leads to exile. Yes, leads to being expelled from the garden, expelled from the land of, the land of Israel. And it's in that context, again, that we have to read the story in Matthew chapter four, because Jesus being the son of God is going to succeed in the way that Israel doesn't succeed. And two, he's going to overcome temptation in the way that Adam and Eve did not. And so let's just look at a few of the highlights of these, because I think it's quite instructive that in the garden, uh, where things are really wonderful, where certainly there was no human need or nothing was lacking, uh, along comes a, well, what we call today a snake, or in Hebrew, a nachash. But what snake has legs? Yes, a snake with legs is basically a dragon, is it not? And if you think, and we think biblically in terms of dragons, what do we think about? Not Dungeons and Dragons, please. We think, hopefully, what we connect with a bigger, larger biblical narrative in which there is Leviathan. There's a dragon, and the dragon is the monster of chaos. It is the monster of death. It is the monster of confusion. And when God creates, and the, um, he begins, he, be, he creates, of course, an order to reign in or to bring under control what we know as chaos, right? What we know as confusion, what we know uh, as a certain meaninglessness. And so in the creation, yes, God brings order. And out of order comes blessing. And of course, it was God's intention to bless, uh, to bless the creation. And chaos is still out there. It's outside the garden. And here comes, the, here comes our chaos monster, our dragon. And... Uh, the serpent was, a serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, first of all, and we could spend a week on uh, a few verses in Genesis chapter 3, but I'm sure most of you have things to do uh, after 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock when we get done. <laughs> so we're not going to... First of all, Adam and Eve had authority over every creature yet they don't exercise it over this, uh, over this crafty serpent. And um, he said to the woman, right, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So he's casting doubt. The woman uh, said to the serpent, we may eat from any, we may eat fruit from trees 
from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, which of course God didn't say that, which um, when she put, makes that, puts that interpretation in there, it somehow makes it more tempting or more desirous. Um, you, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. Okay, so he's, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here, I think, is the rub, right? For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. Isn't it ironic that already Adam and Eve were made in God's image? They were already like God, right? What more did they want? And what more did they need? So the serpent comes along and says, you know. And what does he do? He casts, of course, doubt into Eve's mind. And basically, he becomes, right? He makes God into an enemy. And all of a sudden, I wasn't there, but I can imagine, and so can you, all of a sudden, Eve begins to think, yeah, wait a minute. God is holding back on me. God really doesn't have my best at heart. You know, there's something more, and I'm not getting it. Yeah, that's the doubt that the devil puts into her mind. Now, if it stopped there, it would be enough. But uh, here's, the, here's what I think is really interesting. The deception was small and subtle, but um, Eve doesn't need any more help because she's going to invent another two reasons to eat the fruit, yes, that isn't even suggested to her by the dragon. And so she goes on to say, well, She's, uh, the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. And of course, she, with her, by the way, with her husband standing right next to her, so you cannot blame women or blame Eve for this, because Mr. Adam is standing there passively hearing all this going on. Okay. Um, so... Um, she eats, and of course, there is what transpires afterwards is the fall. But what's critical for us is while there was an outside temptation, there was still something within Eve, like there is something within all of us, yes, that doesn't need a devil or doesn't need some other person necessarily to come and say, well, aren't you being cheated? Isn't God uh, being stingy with you? Aren't you, you really aren't getting what you deserve. You know, right? I'm a good person. I deserve more than this. I deserve a better job. I deserve a better government. I deserve a better country. I don't know. I deserve better children. <clears throat> Some people actually think that. And so forth. Maybe what it means to be human is to become or to be tempted 
again, within our own self, to be dissatisfied uh, or to feel like we're being cheated or to use the American expression, the grass is greener someplace else. Life is better someplace else. Yes. And now we have a second temptation story. The temptation or the struggle of Israel, uh, of Israel in the desert. And uh, Israel's stay in the desert, of course, is a very um, sad affair. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that we should learn uh, from uh, the story of Israel and uh, their desert sojourns so that we don't uh, fall into, you might say, the same, the same behavior. And Deuteronomy chapter, Deuteronomy, of course, is a book or a, 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 it's literature that's preparing the people of Israel to go into the land uh, after their long stay in the desert. And the Lord gives um, some good insight here. He first, first of all, he says, listen to this, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today <clears throat> so that you may live. And you may recall that um, in the previous weeks when we talked about the commandments or the Torah, that uh, commandments, whether they're in the New Testament, the Old Testament, are actually not given by a God who's trying to stop us from having fun, right? Because in popular culture, God is an old man who's very cranky and miserable, and he wants you he wants us to be miserable as well. So he's going to deny us all types of pleasure. He's going to prevent us from flourishing as human beings, from really enjoying the good life. Right? That's a popular image of God. And I must say that many people who are Christians also kind of harbor you know, some thoughts similar to this. But God gave his commandments. God gave the Torah. Jesus gives instructions for our good, right? For the good of, not only for us personally, but for, for our societies to function. In fact, the Torah is medicine, you might say, or, or God's commandments, his teachings, his guidance. This is, a, this is a medicine against chaos, right? And so Israel is in the desert. Um, Israel's going to enter the land. It's going to be a place of great blessing. And the Lord said that he's going to he has tested them for 40 years. Why? So they will know what is in their hearts. So they will know what is in their hearts. And here is the basic, here is the tragedy of the human, human condition. We are all so easily, easily, easily deceived. There is a demon, a devil, who does deceive us. But you know, he gets a lot of help that, from our own brokenness. Yeah, yes, we're the products of thousands of years of human sin and human rebellion. We're also under the, if we're not, if we're not under the authority of Jesus or under the authority of the, or under the influence of the demonic. And so God says to Israel, I have tested you so that you, yes, won't, you will not be deceived. And so when you come into the land, don't say, oh, 
I did this all myself. I'm really so clever. I'm really, uh, I really don't need God. I don't need to depend on him because after all, my, uh, you know, my own resources, my own intelligence, all this is sufficient. And so this is the challenge that, uh, or the explanation that God gives to Israel. Also talks in the same chapter, uh, not only about testing, but about discipline. That's, an, that's another sermon, that's not. But he ends, the, the chapter ends by saying, I think uh, is important for us. It ends by saying, if you ever forget the Lord your God, and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them. I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed, right? There will be death as there was in the case of Adam and Eve. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. And then finally, we have the temptation of Jesus. And first of all, where does the temptation take place? It takes place in the desert. Now that's not just an interesting geo geographical fact. Many times the Bible is using geography to teach us something theological. And this in Bible geography should not be so easily dismissed as something incidental or only background to something bigger and more important. So the desert for the people of Israel, the book of Leviticus, for example, the desert is the home of the demon, Azazel. And uh, it was understood by the Jewish people and actually by many people throughout the Middle East at the time that the place the, the, place the devil dwells is in the desert. You might recall that Jesus, when he's talking about spoiling the, uh, the house of the strong man, he says, if you cast out demons, they go into the dry places, yes, and they will return if the place that's been, it's a life that has been uh, uh, exercised, right, as the exorcism has taken place, if there is not something to uh, fill or replace what has been cast out. And um, what are we to make of this? Like every time we go to the desert, you know, somehow I'm going to meet the, I'm going to meet the devil, or should we take it on its face value? Or do we see something perhaps more, something a little deeper in all this? May I remind you that the desert was the place, it, maybe in some places of the world, it's, it's a place of death, right? A desert is a place of chaos. The desert is where there is no culture, there's no law and order, there's no dog collector, there's no city council collecting taxes. The desert was basically lawless. The desert was with, and anything could happen in the desert, right? A little bit like Vegas, interestingly. It, is it not what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? It's just, it's funny, but it's sick, 
right? What happens in the desert or what happened in the desert stayed in the desert. And so the place where Jesus meets, right, death, or the place where they, the, the place, sorry, the place where uh, the devil is going to dwell. Again, it's in a place of confusion. It's in a place of deception. It's in a place of death. And of course, it's quite interesting, yes, that the devil is going to deceive, is going to try to deceive Jesus in the same way that he deceived Adam and Eve, and in the same way that he deceived the people of Israel in the desert, we don't have time to go into that, he's going to use the scripture or God's word. He may quote it in a distorted way, or he may quote it as he did uh, when confronting Jesus accurately. But of course, the intention, yeah, um, the intention was wrong. <clears throat> and basically, the devil is out to cause Jesus or to push Jesus to take a shortcut. Yeah, to seek, uh, to be showy, to be dramatic, uh, to be sensational. Yeah, show your, show off your messiahship. And of course, Jesus understands what Israel and Adam and Eve didn't really understand is basically, right, in the midst of this testing, he has to remain faithful and loyal. And he must not, right, worship any other god. One of the temptations, was it not, bow down before me and I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. This, by the way, is an important lesson for Christians today who think that somehow there's a shortcut uh, to bringing redemption or revival by just changing the politics of a country. And uh, consequently, many Christians are now frustrated. And in their frustration, they can't understand. And so there must be a simple explanation for all these things. And uh, we now have communities, Christian communities all around the world who are tangled up in conspiracy theories. Yes, they're, uh, it's the, the bankers, it's the, it's, neat, it's the EU, it's NATO, uh, it's the deep state, it's the big tech companies, in many cases it's anti-Semitic, it's the Jews that are controlling the world. The very secular response to something that's contrary to the scripture, right? The, the world is ultimately in God's control, but also there's a spiritual war going on. Why Paul will later say, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And some of the kingdoms of this world were and perhaps still are under the control of the devil. He could offer them to Jesus Worship me, he says, and all of this can be yours. Well, it's all going to be, it's all going to 
belong to Jesus anyway, ultimately. But the way it's going to belong to him is not the short way, the fast way. It's going to be through his self-giving, his sacrifice, his death, yes, and his, um, you might say, patience, uh, creating a people for himself and calling us to, calling us to repentance. Now, Jesus, again, not only tested like Israel, and not only tested like Adam and Eve, but also tested the way that we are, all right, in everyday life. You may say, well, I'm not Jesus, and I'm not out there with Moses, so how is this in any way, how is this in any way relevant, um, relevant to me? Well, I think, um, let's start with the following. Okay, these I, I think are a few lessons that we can and should learn from all this. In every case, the devil, again, with human, complicit, compl uh, human complacency and human uh, complicency, meaning we're cooperating and sometimes we're, we're cooperating in a passive way, in every case, the devil and our brokenness challenges the identity that God gave us. God said to Adam and Eve, you know, I'm making man and I'm making humankind in my image, what he says to us in the scripture. The devil comes along and says, no, it's not true. You have to get it yourself. And what does God say to Israel? It says to Israel in Exodus, you know, you are my treasured possession, right? You're going to be, you know, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Um, and um, let me make sure I have it correct because um, you'll be my treasured possession. Yes, you'll be, a, you'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's the identity God gives to Israel. And of course, connected to that identity is obedience. Right? Adam and Eve should obey, Israel should obey. But of course, once Israel gets into to the desert, they begin to say, wait a minute, where are the promises of God? They really aren't promises and he can't be trusted and we can't depend upon him. And of course, in the case of Jesus, it's if you are the son of God or, or since you're the son of God, so to speak, yeah? Just do this thing and do that thing. And so when we're tested, more often than not, the most important and primary place where we'll be challenged is in our identity. Can we believe God and trust him, even though our circumstances may not look so favorable or so rosy? Or are we going to accept a second or a third best? And this not only goes for us personally, it goes for us as a civilization, as a culture. Because I think of the words of um, the former Pope, Pope John Paul II. He said what was wrong with the 20th century, yes, when we had the death of tens of millions of people in wars and genocide, um, rebellion, he said, what was wrong with this 20th century was that 
we distorted, yes, the def the, we distorted or changed the biblical definition of what it means to be a human. We distorted, instead of taking God's understanding of our identity, yes, we made humans into uh, economic units, or we turned human beings made in God's image into races. So you had a higher race and a lower race. So you know I'm talking about Marxism or communism. Or now we have the issue of, of people denying their identity and saying, well, I wasn't really ever born a male. Right? I, need to, I need to be the one who alters this. I need to be the one who determines my, uh, my own identity. And of course, all of that brings chaos. All of that brings, what it does, it makes us in the image of the snake or the dragon, yes? So we as human beings, yes, not only are being influenced by this dragon, this chaos monster, which brings death and destruction, but we ourselves are also perpetrating it. You, you um, what is it? Psalm 115 says, we become what we worship. We become what we worship, or we, uh, what, you know, we worship what we love, isn't it? But is this something else. So we need to be on guard. Secondly, the, the attack and the test will come, not surprisingly, when we're weak, right? And uh, you might think, wait a minute, where was Adam and Eve weak? They were weak because as human beings, they had this pride or self-sufficiency, right? Which, again, is, is part of what it means to be human. Didn't come with the fall. It ex it, it's what we, know is, what we know today as free will. And so that's the weakness that uh, the devil attacks, right? Can we really trust God? Or do we have to somehow get it for ourselves? And Israel in the desert, in its despair or its hunger or thirst, again, is also tested. Are we going to be able to depend on God? Or are we going to somehow rebel and deny God's promises? And of course, Jesus, and in the case of Jesus, it's physical. Right? So we can be attacked in a, in a place where it's physical or emotional, spiritual, but in a place where we're weak. And uh, to highlight the spiritual and the emotional again, think of the example of Peter. Yeah, Peter, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And then Peter says to himself, man, am I hot. I'm good. You know, and he basically says to Jesus, Jesus, I love you, and I have a beautiful plan for your life. I know, I know, Jesus, what, what should happen. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Right? Where did the devil attack Peter? Right? In, a, in his place of pride. Right? What could have been a spiritual high point right, gets very quickly uh, distorted. And uh, Peter somehow opens the door, you might say, for him. I'd say, finally, the whole issue of Scripture, right? Our identity, 
which comes to us from God, is made very clear, yes, uh, in Scripture. And in every case, uh, the devil, or again, our own brokenness, yes, the things that we will want to tell ourselves, will distort the Word of God. Will distort the Word of God. It may even quote the Word of God accurately, but the intention will be perverse, right? The intention of using Scripture, yes, will be oftentimes there for us to justify our sin or to justify um, our immorality. In fact, it's quite common, is it not, that our morality determines how we view Scripture or how we interpret Scripture. And so, it is not just to know the truth and to have right doctrine, but it's also very, very essential to make sure that we do the truth and that we listen to Scripture, yes, not only the Holy, speak, not only the Holy Spirit speaking to us, yes, but we listen to Scripture in a community and in a, um, or with uh, teachers, you might say, who have uh, a ex long experience walking with the Lord, yes, who understand the way that scripture has been used over the centuries or the way that scripture has been abused. See, why is scripture so powerful? Why is it that you can use it against the devil or use it against our own deception, right? Remember, again, the devil equals death. Satan is the, the chaos monster in Genesis 3, later becomes identified for us as Satan. What is the scripture? The scripture is the breath of God. That breath of God is the breath that gave life to Adam and Eve. It's the breath that gave life to you and me, right? And God's life always trumps, always triumphs over death. We see it in the temple, the tabernacle, the Jewish ritual immersion bath, and finally in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. So scripture, if it's properly interpreted and not abused and not some private interpretation or private revelation, again, brings life and enables us, right, to resist, the temp to resist deception by exposing the deception. Yes, by exposing the deception. And so, when we finally want to just close and talk about the devil, two things come to mind. One, in Ephesians 6, it says the fiery darts of the devil, right? How do we resist them? With the shield of faith, with the shield of faith, with a deep understanding or deep confidence that God has our best in mind. Even if our circumstances sometimes don't look very, uh, are not very good. And if we have any doubt about that, that's the kind of thing we, ask, we need to ask the Lord to remove, right, and to, uh, and to change 
and to replace with a genuine confidence and trust. And finally, the end of 1 Peter tells us to resist the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from us. Don't sit passively like Adam, listening to Eve have a dialogue with, uh, with a lie. Yes, we don't, we don't practice the presence of the devil or the presence of evil. We say firmly, right, the minute the lie begins, we say no. Okay, we don't wait and entertain the thoughts or begin to r rationalize. Well, maybe God doesn't really mind if I do such and such. Or what are, where does it say in the scripture I can't have an abortion? Right? It's that kind of rationalizing or self-justification that becomes dangerous. And so resisting the devil or even confronting the lies that we ourselves produce within us is something that should be immediate, yes? And it's not something that we wait for. So Father in heaven, we do pray that you will reaffirm the identity that you give each one of us in Christ. We pray that uh, you will um, fill us with an understanding of scripture, Lord, so that uh, we can uh, resist the devil and that he will flee from us. And Lord, we pray that um, we will not be deceived uh, in the times in which we live. We pray that um, whether it's from our culture or whether from, it's from our own brokenness or even from the devil himself, we pray that uh, in the lives of each one of us, the lives of our families, churches, and communities, that these lies will be exposed and brought into the light. And again, we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.